Welcome to The Final Whistle with Daniel Campbell, where we will discuss sports, social topics, and black culture. Today, we're going to introduce some new segments. The first new segment is Let Me Pull My Drink. This segment will feature social issues in sports. Today's topic is about Calvin Johnson, who says that the Lions need to pay him $1.6 million to repair their relationship. Then we'll switch gears and we'll play That Man Has a Family, where we will discuss crazy things that happen in sports. And then last, we'll do Get the Switch. You ever did something boneheaded and your mama told you to go get the switch? Well, I'm telling you, we're going to get the belt out today on people. But first... All right, so maybe you heard about this Calvin Johnson situation. Maybe you haven't. But basically, when he retired, they the Lions made him repay $1.6 million of his signing bonus. And then they told him that he could recoup it by working for them for three years and going to basically Lions events. And they pay him $500,000 a year. Now, Calvin says that he doesn't want to work for it. He, he says that he already earned it and he shouldn't have to work for it. Now, I can see his his point of view, but I can also see the Lions' point of view. They want to try to exploit him, try to get as much money as they can out of him. And I'm trying to be reasonable about it. But then I get on Twitter. Yep. All right, let me pull my drink real quick. All right. So, I see y'all out here championing for these billionaires. Y'all really love the ops, don't y'all? These dudes don't care about y'all. All they care about is lining their pockets with your hard-earned money. Do you understand how lame you sound? He signed a contract and didn't fulfill it. He didn't even earn that money. He petty, just another spoiled athlete. You know what? I'm old enough to remember Barry Sanders. Arguably the greatest running back of all time. Back in 1999, he retired because he was tired of all the losing. Why did he retire? Because he tried to get out. The Lions wouldn't let him. So he had to call their bluff and retire. Sound familiar to you? That's because... It's the exact same situation with Calvin Johnson. Tired of the losing. Once out, they won't let him out. Has to retire just to get away. Now, I understand some of you, you see the NFL as a privilege. You wish that you could earn that type of money. And unfortunately, you're just not that gifted. But I get it. But you know what? Calvin Johnson had to run through a brick wall daily, daily to earn his money. And what did he get out of it? Three and 12? What about the 0-16 season? How do you find the motivation to continue to put yourself through physical pain and torture every single day? Just to get nothing out of it. And if you say that he earned money, turn the podcast off right now. Don't ever come back. Because we don't want you here. 
when you get to professional sports, it's not about the money anymore. Everybody makes money. Is money a factor? Of course. There has to be more when you're already rich. Now, when you win uh, four and four games a year, or even go 0 and 16, you're missing out on tons and tons of revenue because nobody's going to the games or buying stuff. You got fans in the stands; they're they're wearing paper bags over their head because they don't want to be there. Um, but they're there for some reason. I guess maybe they're a t- season ticket holder, probably. But do you know what they had on their backs? Calvin Johnson jerseys. That's right. They were still wearing his jersey, even though he got lumped in with a bunch of losers. Dude routinely got his cheeks clapped every week, and he still showed up and sold jerseys and sold these billionaires' products. You know how gifted he is to get that name Megatron? It means that he was devastating. He earned every dime. He's a Hall of Famer. The Lions are still making money off of him now that he went into the Hall of Fame. Go Google Calvin Johnson. I'll wait. That's right. The first thing that came up when you Googled him was his jersey or Hall of Fame shirt saying his name. Where did it come from? Lions.com is the first thing that comes up. These dudes still making money off of him, and he's been retired since 2015. Now, I hear a lot of you guys out here uh, talking about how, you know, your boss won't pay you for money you didn't earn or that you didn't work for. But I hate to break it to you. You're average. You're a nobody. Your boss can have another you in a minute. In fact, he'll be here in a minute. So let's throw some stats out to you guys. I know how you love your stats. In 2012, he had the 17th most popular jersey in all of football. The Lions went 4-12. He stayed in the top 20 until his retirement in 2015. They had one winning season during that whole span. However, they only won 33 games out of a possible 64. So during that span, he's in the top 20 in jersey sales, but his team can't even win half of his games. Now, the NFL made $1.2 billion in 2015, the year he retired, which means that that money was split between 31 teams. Because, you know, Jerry Jones got to be different. He's a maverick, and he has his own licensing deal separate from the rest of the NFL teams. So that means that when you divide that up, the Lions made $38 million off of the players' backs. So what's the point? $1.6 million is insignificant compared to the revenue generated by the players. I didn't mention concessions. I didn't mention tickets, parking, or any of the other things that happen in the stadium. He's more than earned that that 
that million and a half that they owe him. Pay the man. And if you out here hating on him still, I just got to tell you, if you still watch everything he does, then let's face it, you're nothing more than a fan. Hey, so have you seen the Monday night broadcast, specifically the Manning broadcast recently? Now, I've watched three weeks of this, and I have to say that it's a fantastically awesome, but it's also horrible at the exact same time for so many reasons. Um, I think that we get an insightful look into the brotherhood of the Manning, the Manning brothers, and we get to see that they're not quite as close as maybe we thought they were. Um, they have quite a few disagreements, even on air, which I, I find to be funny. Um, they even talk about, like, even some of the the Thanksgiving uh, things that they've done at, w- separately from each other and didn't get invites from each other and things like that. So I find those things to be hilarious. However, I think the game analysis is lacking. Um, I do understand that this broadcast was primarily made, however, for the sports fan who isn't quite as serious of a sports fan as I am. Um, but it's it's kind of missing that entertainment factor that I'd like to see. Um, I think that the Manning brothers are hilarious in very small spots. Um, for instance, if you go to any of their Sunday uh, Saturday Night Live clips, I think that they are absolutely hilarious in those bits. But if you really take a look at those bits, they're five minutes or less, and they're heavily scripted. And so what we're getting now is we're getting a more raw and unfiltered version of the Manning Brothers, and they're not quite as funny in, in that moment. Um, the other thing that I think that they're missing is they're missing um, a someone to kind of moderate the, um, the broadcast. They need a third person to kind of keep it on track, to, to um, bring the talking points out, and f- to do it in a more fluid way. Um, so I do think that they are on the right track. They just need to tweak it just a slight bit. Um, and I love that the NFL is trying to do this because typically there's no fun league. Uh, we see that with all of the, the penalties that they call for taunting and for celebrations and things like that. So what I'd like to see is, uh, they do something and I see what they're doing. They're copying really the, the players-only broadcast on TBS that the NBA does. And I think that that players-only broadcast is absolutely fascinating, and I love to watch it whenever they do it. Um, I think that they should take a model like that. Uh, So the players-only broadcast has Greg Anthony, who is, of course, a player, but also he has that broadcaster voice, and he has that broadcaster um, modulation. To his voice, so he is the one who kind of moderates the the conversation while still being a player and being able to add to the broadcast from a player's perspective and give stories from that player's perspective. That's where I think the Manning Manning cast should go. They need to bring in someone who can moderate it and kind of um, add to it. Um, the next thing that I would add is uh, I would add a third person. Um, either a third person that is permanent or you can add a really good guest 
who is a former player who's also working in broadcasting. Um, just to add a little spice, and I thought of a few people who I thought would be great. Um, so I thought Ray Lewis would be fun. I think that Ray Lewis is absolutely captivating. Um, he would bring a variety to the show, but he would also bring this this randomness that would be awesome. And to see the Manning brothers' faces as they see some of the things, they hear some of the things that come out of his mouth would just be absolutely hilarious. Um, I think Warren Sapp would be great in this spot. We know, of course, he can't come back to ESPN, you know, because the soliciting, you know, that stuff. But I think he would have been hilarious in this spot. And I think he could have told really great stories about how he terrorized the Manning brothers as well. Um, I think the NFL really, really missed an opportunity here because Spice, Spice Adams, and if you don't know who Spice Adams is, I guarantee you, you do know who Spice Adams is. Um, he's a former Chicago Bear player. He played defensive tackle for the Bears for a number of years. He actually still lives out there. Um, we used to go to the same barbershop together uh, when I still lived in Chicago. And um, he, the dude is just hilarious. Um, even when he's not trying to be funny, like at the barbershop, he's really trying to not be funny and to be low-key, and he's still hilarious. Um, but you know Spice Adams from many of his YouTube, Instagram, TikTok videos. Uh, he has a, a cast of characters like Cream Biggums, that basketball player with the ridiculous shorts. Or you know him as the old head with the with the uh, the earphones in or you know his crazy dancing and all that stuff. I think that he is the ideal character to have on the show consistently um, just for the randomness, the jokes. Um, he does good football analysis because he actually still does uh, analysis for the bears. Uh, he does a weekly show for the bears. And then he also does a, he does uh, a, a broadcasting for the Penn, uh, Penn state Nittany, Nittany lions as well. So I think he would actually be a wonderful addition. Uh, Randy Moss could be a little fun. I think he could be a regular contributor. He already works for ESPN, which is awesome. But um, the last person, and it's a shame because he actually works for CBS, but I think that they missed an opportunity with Aqib Tlaib. I think that he would be an awesome person as a regular contributor. Uh, he does well covering the games, but could you imagine him in a studio setting where you can get him to uh, analyze things? And then... It, let a, let a fight break out in, inside of the stadium, and he's ideal guy to break that fight down. Um, so I think that there's a, a lot of uh, missed opportunities there. Uh, the Manning cast should look more like the Fox NFL Sunday. Uh, you, if, you, if you have Terry Bradshaw, could you imagine having a, a, a broadcast where it's Terry Bradshaw and Michael Stranahan and uh, uh, all those guys over there, Howie Long, and how funny they are and how entertaining they are and how much fun they have together. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine how fun that would be as the absolute broadcast, and that's really the format that they should be looking to, to go, go after. And then I just have to say this. Um, they need more guests. They need more guests like Brett Favre. Um, Pat McAfee is entertaining. He's great. He's been on the show a couple of weeks, and he's, he's good, and he's kind of saved the broadcast in a lot of ways with his insightfulness. However, if you didn't see the broad, Brett Favre part of that broadcast a couple weeks ago with uh, the Packers, I encourage you to go back and watch. 
and the reason why I encourage you to go back and watch is because, first of all, Brett Favre looked so confused the whole time he was on there. I think he was there for the uh, third quarter. And first of all, he couldn't even get his, his camera on. So, and then when he finally did get his, his camera on, he, he looked like he was confused by all this fancy modern technology once he did get it on. Um, then after he finally got it on, he asked, in the, in the middle of a broadcast, he literally asked, how is Detroit in this game right now? I didn't watch the first half. And all I could think was, Brett, you had one job. One job, Brett, and that was to be aware of what was happening in the game, at least in the first half, if you weren't going to study the previous week. Um, he didn't have any energy, but it was it was fantastically awful to watch. Um, it literally looked like your grandfather FaceTiming you. And, and it, it just baffles me because it's like, this is the same dude who's famous for sending dick pics to reporters, and he couldn't get this right. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, and then the haterade that he had was fantastic. There was a, a play in the third quarter where Aaron Rodgers threw a 40-yard, like, perfect pearl pass to, to Adams, and all you saw was Brett Favre roll his eyes and just be like, huh, you know, that was nice. But it's just fascinating to watch uh, the interviews like that. So I think that there's a lot of ways that they can can brighten this up. But I just have to say that it's doing well. I mean, they had 800,000 views um, the first week. They had 1.86 million views the second week. Um, I don't know what the views are for the third week just because the stats haven't come out yet. But I'm pretty sure it's gotten larger. Um, I've certainly taken notice, and I think that it's uh, it's pretty good. So I know I haven't talked much about basketball on this podcast because it just wasn't much to talk about right uh, during the summer league. However, we're getting close to the beginning of the season. Training camps have uh, started. And it's going to be fun, especially when they drop the top 75 list. We're so going to talk about that. I may have to do an extended podcast over a number of episodes for that one. However, um, I was looking at a tweet on Twitter, and I saw where Skip Bayless said that he would take Russell Westbrook over Ben Simmons. And that just it just got me thinking, would I? Would I take Ben Simmons over Russell, was, uh, Russell Westbrook? So I decided to do a deep dive and to see, you know, how do I really feel about these players? Because really both are in different phases of their respective careers. Um, one's getting older and trying to win a title, but stuck on mediocre franchises. Um, he was recently traded this offseason to the Lakers. But other than that, he's been in basically mediocre teams most of his career. Um, the other other guy is a young, bright star, star who's on a winning team. Really, the Philly had a chance of winning it all if they could have gotten it together. Um, I don't think the Bucks could have beat them if if um, Ben Simmons could make a free throw. So when you look at them closely, you see similarities. 
Um, sometimes on the surface, we see two players who are nothing alike, and we think that we can't compare them. But when we take a microscopic look into them, we see how they are compatible. Um, so really, are they really that different from one another? Or are they more alike than we, we think they are? So let's take a look at how they're, they're different. So Simmons' best attribute is definitely defense. And of course, we know that Russell Westbrook, it's not his forte. Um, Simmons gets a large number of steals, rebounds, blocks. Uh, he's always in the top conversation for defense, defensive player of the year, every single year of his career. Um, he plays really well, really well on that end. Uh, we know that his deficiencies are on the offensive end. Um, West, Westbrook, in comparison, never been a great defender. Um, he does pad his stats. Takes a lot of gambles, gets a lot of steals that way. He gets some blocks um, and gets a lot of rebounds. But really, it has to do with him just kind of taking a lot of uh, advantage of a lot of situations rather than actually being a, a solid defensive player. Now, where we really see them differ is on heart and hustle. I have to say about Ben Simmons, there's times where he doesn't seem engaged at all. You just look at his face, and it seems to be like he's daydreaming somewhere and completely not involved in the game. Yet, as he goes through the motions, it just speaks to how incredibly talented he is that he can go through the motions and he can still put up the type of numbers that he does. Um, for, For Westbrook, it's the completely opposite when it comes to those trends. Uh, Westbrook's completely engaged. In fact, he's scowling at everyone, including teammates who don't perform well. He's trying to will his team to a victory. Um, So those are the differences. Um, Oh, I'll throw in one more difference. The other difference is that Westbrook is full throttle the whole way. And uh, Ben Simmons seems to be kind of melodic in the way that he goes about his business. But uh, what are some of the similarities that you think exist? Well, Simmons and Westbrook are incredibly um, skilled when it comes to the fast break. Their transition game is probably top-notch of anyone in the league. And they both do it in kind of different ways. And and they're both kind of scary when they have the ball in their hands and are running down the court full sprint. Uh, Ben Simmons is a little more controlled. Uh, he's looking to play make, but he, he will absolutely dunk on your head. Uh, Westbrook is looking to attack, 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 and murder you. Murder the ball, murder the rim, murder everyone. So even though they do it in different ways stylistically, it's very similar. Um, Westbrook has led the lead in, league in assists while Simmons was fifth. So they're both really good, really good uh, passers. They're both threats to get a triple-double pretty much every night. And then you throw in the fact that they're both intimidating players when going to the rim. So they have a, a, a great deal of similarities that I think show over time. But the question still remains, who do I prefer? Who do I want? I think I would take Westbrook every single time and twice on Sunday. Simply put, I can't rely on Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons 
can't make a free throw. Um, and, you know, you can compare him to, to Giannis because Giannis is basically a bigger version of Ben Simmons. Both of them are long, athletic, power forwards who can handle the ball. They can play make. They're technically point guards in a power forward body. Um, but Giannis isn't afraid of the moment. Giannis isn't afraid to take free throws, despite the fact that he knows that he sucks at them. He's not afraid to take three-point shots, even though he knows he sucks at it. Um, Giannis is not afraid to fail. And that's where my problem with Ben Simmons lies, is that he's afraid to fail. Um, He's that guy that goes to a party, stands on the wall, and never talks to a girl, never dances, never does anything, because he's afraid of rejection. He's afraid to look silly dancing in front of everybody. He's afraid to have a good time because he's afraid of how he looks. When he re- what he realize what he doesn't realize is that no one really cares in general. Yeah, somebody might clown you a little bit, but who cares? You had a good time. That's who Ben Simmons is. What's Russell Westbrook on the other hand? Russell's that guy. He doesn't care how he looks. He doesn't care how many times he fails. He doesn't care who makes fun of him. He knows who he is. He knows what he wants and he's relentless and he's going to get it. Russell Westbrook's the type of player that if he were a CEO or some type of business owner, man, watch out for that guy. He's just, he's Jeff Bezos. That's what he is. He's Jeff Bezos on the basketball court, relentless, willing to do anything and everything and will slit your throat. So, in comparison, I wish I had Russell Westbrook's mentality on Ben Simmons' body. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine what Ben Simmons would be like if he was a relentless finisher? If all he did was attack the basket relentlessly, killing everything moving, not afraid to fail, not afraid to miss shots, not afraid to miss free throws. That would be a scary thought. And in fact, we wouldn't even be talking about Giannis. Um, we wouldn't be talking about LeBron. We wouldn't be talking about James Harden or, or Kevin Durant. Ben Simmons with Russell Westbrook's mentality takes over the league and absolutely owns it for the next decade. We wouldn't even talk about Zion Williamson. Not at all. Not at all. We would have nothing to say about him. Because that dude is that talented. And it's just a shame that it's all being wasted. You know, I had no intentions of talking about the Chicago Bears at all. But this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. And I have to get it off my chest just because everyone's talking about it anyway. The pure embarrassment of my Chicago Bears. We have a coach in Matt Nagy who he's the greatest snake oil salesman I have ever seen. I don't know how he convinced the Chicago Bears into signing him to be their their coach. Um, He doesn't inspire anyone. His teams routinely um, show up unprepared. They have a lack of focus. They're probably the most penalized team in all of the league. And if not, they're up there as one of the highest penalized teams in the league. And I'm I'm 100% sure of that because every time that the Bears 
start to move down the field and get close to scoring a touchdown, you know what happens? We get a false start, a delay a game, every single time. It's why the Bears don't score any points. They move themselves out of field goal range every single time. But what I really wanted to talk about was Matt Nagy in relation to Justin Fields. Now, I don't understand this guy. Because, you know, good coaches, good coaches adjust to the players that they have on the field. Case in point, I always go back to John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh's offense, if you go back and look at John Harbaugh's offense, it looks entirely different than it did, it does now since Lamar Jackson has become the quarterback. Harbaugh had Joe Flacco. He had a drop-back quarterback who was going to stay in the pocket, not run around, was not even a a threat to remotely even catch, uh, to gain five yards. And when it became apparent that Joe Flacco's career was pretty much over, and it was over, they put in Lamar, and they completely revamped the offense. They put in RPOs, they put in... um, running plays, design running plays for Lamar. And they made a great player out of Lamar, even though he wasn't ready to throw the ball quite at that moment. And in a a lot of ways, he still isn't quite there yet, but he's still, he's very good. So you saw a coach who recognized his players' talents, his players' strengths, and tailored the offense to fit that. And even... Even the way that they draft players is tailored completely around Lamar Jackson and how this guy plays. Well, the Bears go out, they get Mitchell Trubisky. And I have to say, I I have to apologize to Mitch because I have said some terrible things about Mitch over the years. And although I don't think I'm completely wrong, um, I do have to apologize to him because I do think that Matt Nagy ruined his career. I do think that Mitch could have been a very serviceable quarterback. He was not Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, but he was a very serviceable quarterback. And we got a coach that did not want him, completely sabotaged him at every turn. And now he's a backup for the Buffalo Bills. He couldn't even get a starting job somewhere else. And I do believe that Trubisky is a starting quarterback in this league, even if it is, even if he is the, the 32nd ranked quarterback in the league. He's still a starter. So, Mitch, I apologize. I'm man enough to admit that I that I have to apologize to you. And the reason why I have to apologize to you is because Matt Nagy is doing the exact same thing to Justin Fields. When you look at the Bears' offense, you see that they like to huddle up. They don't like to do shotgun. They like to, to go into the I formation or into 11 personnel, that single back for you, don't, those that don't know. Um, and they like to do these seven-step drawbacks. Um, and when you don't have the offensive line to protect, first of all, seven-step step drops just don't make sense. You should be doing three and fives and getting the ball out quickly. However, that's not what we want to do. We want to drop back seven, and we want to try to give the quarterback time to in the pocket to throw And then we want to run these deep routes that the receivers aren't good enough to run, um, that they can't get open on. And also, the pass rush is only giving the quarterback two, maybe three seconds on a good play 
to actually throw the ball. Now, when we had Andy Dalton, okay, fine. Makes total sense. That's what Andy Dalton does. But he's hurt. Justin Fields is now the quarterback. Justin Fields' best attributes are throwing out of the pocket. We even saw it in preseason. In preseason, Justin Fields, all his best plays were outside of the pocket. Mostly because the the offensive line couldn't block. But regardless, getting outside, improvising, that's what he does. And it's clear that Matt Nagy does not want that. Because that's what Trubisky was as well. And he tried to force Trubisky to be a pocket passer. And he took away all the great things that Trubisky did. Now, a good coach will adjust. A good coach will say, you know what? Let's roll out. In that Cleveland game, we rolled out twice. Twice. The Bears rolled out twice for Justin Fields. Neither play resulted in much, but rolled out twice for a mobile quarterback who improvises on the run. Matt Nagy, these RPOs will not cut it. Everyone knows that you're running an option read. Everyone knows that the ball is going to be ran to David Montgomery or by Justin Fields. What were you thinking? There were eight, sometimes nine men in the box. There was a couple plays where I saw ten. They have single high safety, and you mean to tell me? They're not even disguising their coverages. And you mean to tell me? You didn't think to throw the ball? You didn't think to throw a bubble screen uh, to try to throw the defense off? You didn't think to try to throw a halfback screen to, to, to stop the pass rush? You let Miles Garrett get four and a half sacks by himself and for Justin Fields to be sacked nine times. Now, I don't want to absolve Justin Fields completely of all of those sacks. There was a few times that he held on to the ball too long. But that's what rookie quarterbacks do. We expect that to be the case. Just look around the league and see how all the rookies are um, playing. In fact, Justin Fields and uh, um, Mac Jones are the only quarterbacks who have wins on their resume right now. The only rookies. So... With all of that said, I typically don't call for people's jobs. I, I don't like calling for someone's job to be to be let go of. I don't like hearing people be fired. I want everyone to be employed. I want everyone to be gainfully employed and to make enough money to support their family and to build generational wealth and what have you. However, in this case, the people of Chicago don't deserve this. I still consider myself a Chicagoan. Even though I've lived here in Dallas for two and a half years, I still consider myself a Chicagoan. We do not deserve this. We spend our hard-earned money to go to these games. We buy the concessions. We buy the jerseys. Hell, I went out and bought a Justin Fields jersey the very night he was drafted. The moment he was drafted, I went to the Chicago Bears official team website and bought a jersey. That's how excited I was. We don't deserve this. He has to go. Ryan Pace, the GM, has to go. 
And I've said this numerous times, not on air, but I've certainly said this to others in confidence. Ted Phillips has to go. And for those of you who don't know who Ted Phillips is, he is the president of the Bears. He's been the president of the Bears for um, basically my whole life. He's been president of the Bears for 30 years. I'm 35. And as the president of the Bears, he's not a football man, by the way. He's got an accounting degree. So we have a man running the football operations at the top who has an accounting degree, who knows nothing about football. All he knows about is marketing strategies. But that's the guy we have running our team. They all need to go. They need to go right now. I know that the Bears have never fired a coach in season, but it's time. And I'm going to tell you why it's time. It's time because right after the game, they asked Matt Nagy, hey, what could you have done differently to help Justin Fields? And do you know what this guy said? He said nothing. We just need to execute our game plan better. That's what he said. They then proceeded to ask him, hey, for next week, how are you going to change the game plan to be more effective? And again, he said, nothing. We just need to execute our offense correctly. We're not going to change the way we call plays. We're not going to change the protections. We're going to do the exact same thing and expect a different result. I just don't understand how he was not fired in that very moment. Fine. If you want to leave Matt Nagy in for the rest of the season, I was okay with it because it's a lost season anyway. However, the moment that he said that he felt that he didn't need to change anything, it was time to go. If he cannot be man enough to admit his faults, admit his mistakes and correct them, make true adjustments, he has to go. Right now. Right now. And in fact, go ahead and get rid of the GM too. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, I know some of my listeners do. Um, you've seen my raw, visceral reactions in Twitter, on Twitter. And you saw me uh, clamoring for him to be fired at halftime. You saw me clamoring for Ryan Pace, the GM, to be fired at halftime as well. And I stand by that. I still stand by that. Because there's a man out there who I know the Bears won't look at for a number of reasons that I won't get into. Because I just think that they're 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 useless to to point out. But there's a man out there who belongs in the Bears uh, facilities at Hallis Hall out there in Lake Forest running the show. And that's ESPN's Lewis Riddick. The guy is well respected. He has great contacts across the league which means that he can he can work with other GMs to make trades um, for draft future draft picks and what have you. And he has the respect of the players, most importantly. And by having the respect of the players, he can make Chicago a destination where free agents want to go to. The Bears should be talking to Lewis Riddick right now. Now, I don't know who the next coach will be. 
I don't have an answer for you as to who should be the next coach. Um, I like Eric Bieniemy in Sam, uh, in Kansas City. I think he's great. I know that the Bears won't go back to Kansas City and hire another coach because Nagy came from there. And I totally get those reasons why. But I will point out that Bieniemy is nothing like Matt Nagy for a number of reasons. Uh, but the most most apparent reason would be that Matt Nagy did not call plays for uh, for Kansas City. Bieniemy does. He calls all the offensive plays. Matt Nagy was an offensive coordinator who did nothing but install game plans. And he recalled the plays. Matt Nagy had four games of play calling experience when the Bears hired him as a head coach. Now, I have to admit this. Um, offensive coordinator and head coach are two entirely different jobs. Um, you can be an exceptional offensive coordinator and, and or defensive coordinator and suck as a head coach because they're, they're entirely different. Because as an offensive coordinator, you're more on the molecular, molecular level looking to install game plans, work with your players, and build their, their skill sets, whereas a head coach overlooks everything. And then find a head coach that, that, that can not only have the organizational skills to run the whole team, but can call plays is even more exceptional. So I think the enemy could be potentially good, but I, ha- I don't have an answer for you as to who he will be as a head coach. I don't have an answer for you as to who will be a great head coach. Uh, I think that Les- Leslie Frazier kind of got a raw deal in uh, Minnesota. He's also a former 85 Bear. Um, he knows what it means to play in Chicago. And I do think that he's actually a very good head coach. And uh, I do think that he's a great coordinator. I'd love to see him get another shot. Um, Ty Bowles is another one that comes to mind that I think is great. Um, Byron Leftwich is doing wonderful things, but I don't know if he's a head coach. But he's doing great things down there in Tampa Bay. Um, Nabal up there in uh, in Buffalo, he's doing a great job as a coordinator, and they're saying he's the, the next offensive guru. I don't know how well he'll do as a head coach. So I don't have the answers for you as to who will be the head coach. What I can say is that the Bears typically, they've hired one former head coach ever in their history. Um, typically, they go after coordinators because coordinators are cheaper, and they like to cut costs. Um, John Fox is the only retread head coach we've ever had in the history of the Bears. So I don't think we'll do a retread head coach. I think that's a shame. It's a missed opportunity um, for another head coach to get a, a, a second job. I'd love to see Josh McDaniels. I think that Josh McDaniels would be a great addition to the Bears. I think that uh, he already has the creativity on offense. He knows what he wants to do on defense. He can lead, actually leave the defense alone because Sean Desai is doing an amazing job. If you didn't see, the Bears sacked the Browns seven times. Baker Mayfield was on his back, and he got hurried a bunch more. The offense did not play well. The Browns' offense did not play well until late in the game when the Bears' defense finally tired out um, in the fourth quarter, midway through it, mind you. So we'll just have to wait and see what will happen. I'm, I hate to say that I'm rooting against my team because I shouldn't be. But one part of me just wants the Bears to lose against the Lions so that Nagy can be fired. 
We need him gone. I don't want to see Justin Fields ruined the way that Trubisky was ruined. I don't want to see this this team fall apart. I don't want to see a potential Hall of Fame career of Khalil Mack wasted for nothing because of a coach. But that's where we are. But hey, we'll see what happens. Well, that's all the time we have. I appreciate you listening to The Final Whistle. Uh, Please like, share, subscribe, and we'll see you next week.